Welcome to the Pulse that moves the Triangle World today. This one-size-fits-all broadcast is a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, helpful tips, what's trending, events, and boundless other adventures. It's a conversation pit of comedians, politicians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Innsprecher. Hi, friends. I have to apologize that due to the COVID-19 situation, you might notice some clip editing in the broadcast. Normally, we have guests in, but due to the social distancing, we will be recording only via phone. Today, we focus on COVID-19's effects on schools, teachers, parents, and students. The state's 1.5 million students have been home since March 16th. And there's no telling how long that may extend. Some states have even canceled schools for the rest of the school year. State Superintendent Mark Johnson has encouraged parents to help children adjust to the new norm when it comes to education. Johnson is working at the state level on a plan so that seniors who are scheduled to graduate in June remain so. This is so important. The State Board of Education has requested a federal waiver from giving the state's end of grade and end of course exams. And the State Board has also asked the General Assembly to waive testing requirements for school. So just a bevy of things going on in the world of education. And of course, so many other Things going on in the world in general with business and uh, just everything. It's, it's just a difficult time for everyone. And we're hoping that these informational podcasts may help in some small way. No one knows what the future will bring. So we're talking about the present. Dwelling on what we have control over and not what we do not have control over. To start with, we have Principal Nolan Bryant from Cary High School with us today. Welcome, Principal Bryant. Hi, Mary. Nice to talk with you. Listen, there's just so much in the news, Principal, that, you know, we're getting a lot of information, and and that's so great. But I thought maybe it might be comforting for people to know a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes, like... You mentioned to me about pulling out computers to give it to some students that may need them. Can you talk about that a little bit and what's going on with uh, that end of things as far as online learning? Sure, absolutely. Well, first let me just say um, I think all the um, educators in our state are really having to rethink the way we um, engage with students around learning. And um, we also recognize that during this um, uncertain time when we're all um, trapped in our homes, uh, that uh, the type of learning we deliver is not going to be as good as what we would do face-to-face, um, but our commitment is to try to make it uh, as close to that as possible. Uh, in Wake County, uh, we are working hard to um, identify the students um, who attend our schools who have uh, reliable internet access and also um, determine if they have devices that they could begin to engage in remote learning uh, from their homes uh, with our teachers. So my school was in the middle of 
calling uh, students. Teachers are all calling their students, trying to um, connect with as many as they can, determine who has what needs. And then that information is uh, being filtered back to me and my administrative team. We are in the building uh, today pulling um, devices, uh, Chromebooks, together in our media center in preparation for a um, response to that need. So we're trying to prepare um, a response plan to check out devices uh, to students um, who don't have one at home so that we can really begin to ramp up our efforts to um, engage in some new learning in the coming weeks for our students to keep learning moving forward. So what is that looking like for teachers? I mean, how are they doing their lesson plans? I know I spoke to someone in another state who um, they're getting very creative. Like one teacher was, was trying to, his lesson was about measurement and he did a video of himself jumping in the air and measuring how high he jumped to continue to teach his class about measurement. Uh, are we going that way with Cary High School? Any creative plans? Uh, oh, absolutely. Um, I think that's one of the ways I've tried to sell this to my staff uh, as a positive um, opportunity to uh, tap into our creativity. Uh, we also... Um, well, I guess for the for the past week, um, all of the teachers have really been uh, digging in and engaging in learning of their own, uh, learning how to host uh, meetings through uh, the different web tools that are out there, Google Hangout and uh, through Canvas and through um, uh, Zoom and other programs that we're uh, able to use to to create a virtual classroom. So teachers are have uh, gone back to school themselves this past week, learned how to use a lot of those tools. And they've also been engaging in some collaborative online planning uh, through virtual interactions with their teammates uh, to begin to develop creative lessons that can be done through a computer remote learning interface um, that, that will engage the kids and get them excited about learning um, and also move it forward. Um, and, and again, we, we haven't faced this before, so there's a lot of new um, design happening with the way we're teaching. But um, I do expect there to be some, um, some great creative projects and learning opportunities coming out of this for our kids and our teachers. I love that. It's like teachers being taught, <laughs> a reversal yeah. of roles. But, um, you know, do you see maybe this becoming well, not the norm, but certainly maybe going forward utilizing some of this online teaching even once we're back up and running? Uh, I do. Um, I think that uh, everybody in our country and actually in the world right now, I think we're realizing you know, where we were really prepared for something like this and where we had gaps in our preparedness. Um, I think as a, as a school system and as a school here at Cary High School, uh, we do have, uh, I think, uh, an advantage over some teachers and some, some schools because our kids are older, and so they are a little bit more adept at using technology, and some of our teachers have already been engaging kids in some of the communication tools um, that we're, we're, we're using right now uh, with two-way communication, posting assignments online, flipping their classrooms, and, and what flipping the classroom means is the teacher records their lessons and posts it. Uh, similar to like a Khan Academy uh, type video format. So we've been doing some of those things in pockets already. Um, and so I've called upon uh, 
those leaders in my school to host virtual trainings for the teachers who weren't familiar with that. And so we're building that capacity in our staff this week. Um, so, so I, and I think when this is all over and when we get back to some sense of, of normalcy with schools opening, I do think that we're going to be able to capitalize on the growth that we've experienced professionally um, in delivering instruction and keep that as part of the fabric of the way we do business here at, at Cary High School and at the other schools across our state. That's fabulous to learn that you were ahead of the curve already on this. That's just wonderful. And, you know, we have this technology and kids just love it. So I'm glad to see you were using it even prior to this, but it certainly puts you ahead of the game a little bit. So now are teachers actually um, planning lessons as far as like, how far are you with that? Uh, Is it still like in a review stage or is it new material? So as we're in this uh, assessment phase right now as a district and as a school to determine who has access and who doesn't, uh, we've been very careful about making sure that we don't move forward with new instruction because we don't want kids who aren't yet hooked up uh, to this uh, new network of, of learning to, to be behind already. So we're working as quickly as we can to get all those kids plugged in and get devices in their hands so that we can move forward. So we're still in this review phase right now. Um, we do have um, some advanced learning happening with our highest level courses, our AP advanced placement level courses. Um, and those are the courses that are um, that are counted as both uh, high school credit and college credit if the kid passes their exam because those exams are going to be coming up uh, within a month or so. And so we do have a lot of curriculum still to cover there. So some of those teachers are already moving new work forward. But the majority of our classes, teachers are still in this holding pattern of, of maybe reconnecting the kids um, to the material we've, we've cut this semester, um, getting all the kinks worked out of our systems for communicating and making sure kids know how to go in and access online assignments and how to submit those. So none of that material is going to be graded, but just in in about a week and a half or two weeks, we're going to be launching with new material. And so hopefully by then we'll have most of the kinks worked out, um, and our students uh, across the board throughout our whole school will be engaging in new learning um, as we move toward uh, the end of a school year. And and when that actual end of a school year is going to be, we don't know yet. Um, We're still hopeful that we'll be able to reopen before our school year concludes and get our kids back in the building to bring some closure to a year and to especially for our seniors and our and our kids that would be ending eighth grade and coming in next year. We, we, I think it's important for kids who, um, who to, to get that type of closure, um, but we just don't know yet if we're going to be able to get to that point. So we're just we, we're pointing ourselves to be able to launch new instruction in two weeks and. Um, and then we're just going to roll with that until we hear uh, something different uh, from our leadership in the, in the state and at our district level. And I understand there's a lot going on with that. So you don't really have any update as far as seniors will still graduate or they're going to eliminate some end-of-year testing? So we have heard that uh, 
um, most likely in the near testing will be um, eliminated. I know a waiver was submitted from our district um, and uh, for uh, all state testing uh, to be eliminated. And um, what I've heard, I, I, I don't want to say with absolute certainty that that's been eliminated yet, but it looks like they're going to be taking that away uh, for this particular year. Um, and but as far as like our normal activities like prom and, and uh, graduation, uh, we're having to make some real time decisions about uh, if we're going to try to keep hope alive that we're going to get back here and be able to pull all those things off. Uh, the district is moving forward. Uh, we are moving forward here at Cary High School too with um, a plan to graduate as normal um, and uh, on our graduation date, which is in June. Um, but, of course, we'll have to reassess that as the situation continues to unfold. Um, I think that um, at our school in particular, even if we're not able to come back to school uh, this school year, uh, in a, in a worst-case scenario, my hope would be that sometime uh, during the summer we would get the green light to gather again, and, and we would look at uh, pulling off some sort of closure gathering celebration for our seniors in our gymnasium, uh, possibly to help them bring some sort of closure before they transition out into uh, onto college or into the real world. But there's just still so many unknowns. Um, I think we kind of have to maximize our willingness to be flexible. Well, that's certainly encouraging news. I think if, if the students can get any kind of little gathering ceremony together, I mean, even if you're talking you know, August or September, just so they have, again, that closure. And we're going to be talking to some other folks here about what students may or may not be going through and, and how to cope. But how, in general, have you heard from some of your students who have indicated they're okay with this or they're not, or what are they going through? Well, I'm a parent of a senior myself. Uh, my, my wife and I have a senior and a sophomore and a, and a fifth grader, so we're living the same reality of all of our other parents right now. Um, I think the kids are, are holding up pretty well. Um, they have a lot of questions. I think that they are holding out hope that, again, we'll, they'll be able to come together for some sort of closure uh, to this school year. Um, especially the seniors that are hoping for some sort of prom or some, some type of graduation ceremony. But I think they also realize that those are all really first world problems and those are things that um, they're important because they're part of the memory building process, but ultimately uh, the health and safety and well-being of our, our citizens and our community um, outweighs that. And so they're, they're being very mature about it. Um, I think re-engaging them in learning is, is turning out to be a big lift because kids are kind of craving that, surprisingly. Wow. I think they're craving uh, the opportunity to engage with their teachers again and their classmates, even if it is virtual. Um, they have uh, they've been able to use their social uh, communication devices, you know, throughout the whole, the whole situation. So, you know, they've been online communicating with, with each other, gaming with each other. Um, so they haven't been completely cut off. Um, but I think being able to get back into a forum where they're talking about some learning and talking with uh, their teachers who they build a very special relationship with uh, during their time in school, I think that, that is, uh, that's a really important part of stabilizing their um, feelings about the situation and, and help, it's going to help them really deal uh, with some of these 
um, any kind of anxiety they may have about uh, what's going on and what's to come, I think, will, will be um, pacified a little bit when they begin to get back into some sort of normal routine. So um, I've, been, I've been pleased and, and, um, and I've felt uh, heartwarmed by the, the way uh, the kids are, are responding to it so far. What about the parents? Or who's doing better, the students or the parents? <laughs> Usually the youth are more resilient. They're doing much better, I think, than the parents are doing. <laughs> the parents are the ones, I think, that are struggling more with it, uh, whether it's struggling to figure out how you balance your new reality of working from home and having your children uh, at home as well and, um, and, and juggling those, you know, keeping the kids engaged in something productive and, and getting something done, I think is... One thing that parents are struggling with, but I also think just the parents of my seniors um, are, they're really worried about the, their kids missing out on the memories uh, that that come with having a graduation and having a prom um, and being able to say goodbye to all their friends. So they seem to be uh, more worried about that than their, their students are. Um, and so, uh, but again, I think everybody is, is showing some great inner strength in trying to look at the big picture here and trying to make sure that we make safety our number one priority in, in all the decisions that we make. Well, you sound like a wonderful leader in all this, having to deal with the teachers, the parents, the students, <laughs> equipment, all kinds of things. And I really appreciate your positivity and taking time with us today. It's my we have Dr. Wagner from the Anxiety Wellness Center in Cary with us now to talk about what may or may not be going on with our kids and the whole COVID-19 issue. Have you seen anything happening with the children yet? Well, some children are more anxious. Some children are frustrated. But actually, there are many children who are either not affected or even maybe happy to be out of school. So I think the important thing is that uh, no two children are alike, and you'll see a range of reactions, and it really depends on, you know, whether your child had anxious tendencies to begin with. And I think the children who, with more anxious tendencies are more likely to react. But even so, with their young ages, they don't understand all the implications. So they may not be worried about, you know, the virus, or with one or two reassurances, they may be okay. Um, you might see more frustration and disappointment that they're cooped up and they can't meet with friends and play. Uh, and teenagers may be frustrated because they're socially cut off from their friends. And many of them may be worrying about missing out on their you know, senior year and graduations and proms and things like that. You mentioned about the, the teenagers in particular. I mean, it's true for all children, but teens... I guess they're saying a lot of them are coping because of social media. Mm -hmm. Yes, and social media has its pluses and minuses. On the one hand, I think technology has kept us so informed and has given us so many productive things to do. But on the other hand, it can be too much. So I would also recommend for teenagers and parents to limit the amount of uh, social media and inter Internet time to like one or two times a day and not keep looking at it because it's, you know, there's a lot out there and there's an information overload, and that creates a lot of feelings as well. I'm finding that to be true even for me as an adult. Oh, absolutely. I think 
Um, I'm actually more focused on how much parents are worrying and how anxious parents are because all of a sudden, you know, parents who carry so many responsibilities for their children, their families, health, their jobs, finances, all of a sudden have to manage all these unexpected things and everything's unfamiliar and uncertain. Um, and working parents have to now figure out how to work from home and manage their children's home, you know, online schooling. So parents are a lot more anxious. And so I've been recommended, recommending for parents and kids what I call the four C's of what we can do. We can all worry and be upset about what we cannot do now, but instead we can take charge of what we can do. And the four C's are calm, consistency, containment, and caring. Staying calm is first. So parents need to stay calm, and I recommend that they rate their uh, anxiety or upset on what I call a feeling thermometer, which is available on my website. And if they're in the range of 7 to 10, then they should take a few minutes to calm themselves before they'll engage with their family and then use the thermometer with kids as well. So calming is first. After that, consistency. So we're all forced to create a new routine and structure, but after a few days of being out of school, it's important to strike that balance with routine and work and play. Uh, so they shouldn't be allowed to just play all the time and set some expectations and have them help in the house and things like that. And they can do a lot of virtual learning and virtual field trips and virtual play dates. There's so much available out there. Catching up on sleep because, you know, we're not commuting now, so we have the luxury of being able to get a little more sleep before rushing out the door. Containment, not just of the virus with the disinfecting and distancing instructions we've been given, but also of our feelings and our emotions, the anxiety, the frustration, the disappointment. So I recommend everyone should uh, own their feelings and be okay with their feelings. It's okay to be frustrated, but, you know, do it in a productive way. Validate your child and teen's feelings. But other than that, if a child is highly anxious or acting out or angry or, you know, upset, I would schedule one or two daily check-in times, and that's the only time, 10 or 15 minutes, once or twice a day. That's the only time to really focus on these issues and the rest of the day to, to go about one's business because otherwise an angry or upset or anxious child can sort of be anxious all day if you allow them to be. So setting limits and containment on the anxiety is important. And then finally, uh, caring. So, you know, sometimes crisis brings out the best in all of us, and this is a wonderful opportunity for us to stop and have some time to say, what's important in our lives? What do we value? What are the things that matter the most? And focus on spending time in those, strengthening relationships, staying active without, you know, being around other people, doing the distancing, finding strength in spirituality, or channeling compassion by helping those in need by donating online or volunteering remotely. And then finally, gratitude. Despite our challenging times, I think we can all take a few minutes to remind ourselves of things for which we are thankful. Uh, we actually have the time to stop and notice now. That is just amazing advice. I think that will help a lot of people. And doctor, would you mind giving that website so people can get more information? Yes, it's www.anxietywellness.com, and there's a link on there that says COVID-19 resources, where you can find this information and a free copy of the feeling thermometer as well. Thank you so very much. You're welcome. My pleasure.
Susan Ballantyne, a Vinny Yoga and Health and Wellness Coach from Simply Practice, is here with us to talk about multidimensional practices for peace and wellness. Welcome, Suzanne. Thanks, Mary. Thanks for having me. I'd like to start with the children's aspect first, um, being how we've been talking about the school system. If we can kind of touch base on what students might do to help them through this time if they're struggling right now. Well, I work to help people become a little bit more aware of themselves. And when we say multidimensional, that means physically, mentally, and also our characters and our personalities and our habits and our patterns of behavior. Um, I work with patterns of movement as well. And what we do is work to find more peace and well-being. So if we already have a practice like this in place, when we come into difficult times, it's a little bit more, um, well, it's a little easier for us to embrace those practices and feel the effects of them. When we're just learning them in a time like this, it can sometimes feel, um, you know, how's this going to help me sort of thing. But it's just because we're not used to it, because it's not already a habit or a practice of ours. So I introduce people to the idea that this is possible. You know, that um, it's not possible maybe to have a million respirators on hand or the right kind of mask available in an emergency. But if you already had a mask at home in your cupboard, you could just pull it out. Or, and if you already have a practice that you turn to on a regular basis to keep you steady um, and centered, then, you know, it won't um, pull you quite as far off center when something like this happens. But you have so, in particular like meditation techniques and yoga and other things like that that might work for children? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we use the gross body, the physical body in yoga to help calm us down. So we do do some kind of physical practice. But the type of yoga that I teach is not focused on performing a posture but rather using those physical practices to become more familiar with our own bodies, whether or not we're very flexible, whether or not we're very tight, how certain things make us feel. And we can extrapolate from the physical to more emotional, psychological, mental practices and really see ourselves um, with a growing practice of awareness. And in a way, the physical practice of yoga is already the door into meditation. So if we're paying attention while we're practicing, and this is what I help people do is learn to use their body in different ways so that they can explore different muscles and um, aspects of their body. And then once you become more aware of yourself on a physical level, if we turn our focus to breath, which is also a practice that helps us calm down, we know that if we can spend 12 to 15 minutes with a nice, slow, even inhale and exhale, we can turn the body back toward the parasympathetic nervous system. The majority of our day is spent quite 
lively and active in our sympathetic nervous system. We're often not necessarily severely stressed, but, you know, we're moving from one activity to another. And this keeps the body in the sympathetic nervous system. And our bodies can't be in both the sympathetic and the parasympathetic at the same time. And we want to switch back to parasympathetic for things like digestion, relaxation, getting ready to go to sleep at night, for healing and self-care. And so a body and a culture, in fact, that is so conditioned to be more in their sympathetic nervous system sometimes has trouble getting back into the calmer parasympathetic nervous system. And that's essentially what I'm helping people do is use their body, their breath, and some mental practices to become more relaxed and centered so that they can digest well, eat well, sleep well, and therefore heal well. This is when the body heals itself. That's a very valuable service. In fact, I think you have something out on the internet or other outlets that people can tune in and see you doing these practices and maybe do it with children and also for themselves as adults. So I do. Thanks, Mary. I'm offering a 15-minute morning meditation every day on Zoom. It can take up to 100 people, and we haven't really gone past 20 yet. But I've invited the people in my yoga community and some of the people that I network with, other um, women entrepreneurs in the area, to join me for this 15 minutes of being together, um, centered and calm and quiet. And I offer a reading from a different um, wisdom tradition every morning as well which includes contemporary wisdom traditions. Um, and I'm also, you can find me at www.simplypractice.net. And there you'll find more information about the meditation, a link to it, uh, some information about my classes. And I also have a Facebook page, which is Simply Practice Raleigh, North NC, I think it says. Um, and I post the readings from my meditations every day. And now I've started recording the meditation. So if people wanted to listen to them at some other time in the day or find out more about what I'm doing, just visit my website and you can reach me that way. Thank you so much, Suzanne. And thank you for being a port in the storm. My pleasure, Mary. And thank you for bringing this awareness to Triangle 411. It's time now for our nonprofit spotlight. Given that we're speaking about the school system, I thought this might be an appropriate organization. It's called Wake Up and Read. In 2012, key leaders from education, business, civic, and nonprofit agencies came together in a focused effort to increase childhood literacy in Wake County. Their goal is having all children reading on grade level by third grade. So they have book drives and they have sorting opportunities for volunteers and so forth to get books to all the kids so that they can be great readers. They're currently closed due to the COVID-19 situation, but just think about them maybe when they reopen for volunteer efforts. Well, it's time to high five and say goodbye this is Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Catch us on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Alexa, etc. Or you can simply go to our website, which is triangle411.buzzsprout.com. That's B-U-Z-Z-S-P-R-O-U-T. Today, dot, 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 
send a teacher a thank you note.